0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 119 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, the tank top wearing phenom himself, Robert B. Foster. So Today, we're going to be discussing about the hidden gem within your mortgage. Now, I am no expert in that field, but luckily, I found someone who is. But before we get into that, if you are new to this show, make sure you like. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, share the video, help us get the word out. Because The purpose of this channel is for you. It's to motivate you, it's to entertain you, it's to educate you, and most importantly, it's to transform you. So it, everyone knows it all starts in the mind. Everyone says it. Every every speaker says it. Every coach says it. Mindset, mindset, mindset. But here we go through people's backstories to help you have the shift that you need to have so you can control your mind. So I always call it, it's, not, it's not really changing your mindset. It's mastering your mindset. It's controlling what thoughts you allow into your brain. And so I've had guests from all over the world, multiple multiple countries, different religions, different genders, sexes, races, religions, all of that stuff and everybody wants the same thing. everybody wants to be happy. So we're gonna, if you're stuck in some type of rut in your life and it doesn't matter what that rut is, the purpose of this show is to help inspire you to get past whatever it is that you're dealing with. Now why should you listen to me? Here are a couple reasons. starts with clarity of vision if you don't have the clarity of vision whatever next thing you get you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision so the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again and all that stuff i was like you know what like i want to be able to take this even bigger if you know why you do what you do you have to know how to charge for what you do that's how you're gonna change your life, and that's how you're gonna leave a legacy for your children and your family. You gotta know your You know that background music is hot. Tell you, it gives me goosebumps every time I listen to that. It's so funny. All right. So again, if you are new to, to, to the show, we're on for an hour. You know, I don't don't expect everyone to stay on for an hour. But the way this works is the first half an hour we get to know our guests, what they went, what they've been through in life, things that they they've had to overcome, persevere through, things they had to forgive within themselves, times they had to forgive others, like whatever that backstory is. And then we talk about the shift where they took control of their mindset. See, notice I said took control because right now we let outside forces control our thoughts and then those thoughts control our actions and then when we get stuck in the rut it's tough to get out of that hamster wheel of emotions and so we focus on how our how the guests got through that and to what they're doing now and the successes that they're having now and the people that they're serving now so said if you're new to the show That's what we're all about. So who is this guest? And once again, I didn't ask him how to pronounce his last name. So I'm gonna take a stab at it and hopefully I get it right. So he has been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years and has worked with all types of loans. His specialty and favorite has always been working amongst the 62 plus age group, the baby boomers with over a thousand reverse mortgages which has been the most rewarding part of his career. He is now the National Reverse Mortgage Director for Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation, and he has a question for you. If what you thought you knew about mortgages and financial planning was wrong, when would you want him to tell you? Welcome to the show, Harlan Akola. How would I do with the last name?
1: Hey, that was awesome. You did. Okay. Excellent.
0: All righty. Good.
1: Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Robert. It's fun uh, to be able to help others.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so, as I was going through your bio, as I said, you know, I'm definitely no no expert in the in the mortgage field, but it looks like what you're doing really, really has the power to help people take control of their of their financial future.
1: Well, there's no question about that. You know, everybody spends their whole life uh, building up wealth, building up a nest egg. And then they get to be 62 to the golden years. And you hear so many people say, you know, the golden years aren't that golden. They're,
0: yeah, not they're that working golden. at Walmart. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and the fact is, is that's because they don't properly utilize all of their wealth. They have money hiding in plain sight in their house and they don't do anything with it. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to teach people uh, to help them understand how it fits in with their overall financial plan and more importantly what do you do with the fourth quarter of your life a lot of people have all these plans goals things very specific and they retire and there's a lot of people that die in the first year because they just kind of lost their what, what do we what do we do now
0: you know you can only
1: play golf for so long or go <laughs> hunting or whatever it is after a few months what are you going to do with your life how are you going to still make a difference and so we help people think that through of what's your legacy what do you want to leave to your kids? What do you want to leave to your community? And that's Love what's that. a lot of fun.
0: Love that. All right. So before we dive into the nuts and bolts of all of that, we will, we need to know who you are. <laughs> so in about, you know, a minute to two, if you had to describe yourself and you had two minutes to describe yourself, who is Harlan?
1: Well, I've always been an underdog. I've always been trying to, to get up there. I started out on a little small farm in Pittsville, Wisconsin, population 700, mm. a dairy farm. Uh, and our farm was smaller than all the neighbors. I went to a school that we graduated with only 100 kids. Um, I was the youngest of four. So I was always trying to keep up with my big brother or my big sister. Um, I'm the youngest was, of seven.
0: I know all about that, but go ahead. There you go.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely the, 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 the younger sibling uh, syndrome. And <laughs> And then I was always trying to figure out how can I do better? How can we have a better farm? How can I accomplish more than than what I'm doing? How can I be like my big brother? How can I be like my sister? And I was always trying to, uh, you know, I was always a little bit behind. And it was like, well, just a minute. I want to go further and go faster and accomplish more. And it was hard because when you grow up on a little, you know, a 160 acre dairy farm in the middle of Wisconsin, uh, there's not a lot of opportunity um, there. There just isn't. And so it was, um, it was kind of, you know, the first 18 years of my life I would not trade for anything because I learned how to work. When you talk about shut up and grind, that's what my, mm. my, my dad would say, not in those words, but yes. just get out there and work, go, you know, go yeah. milk the cows, you know, go, go take care of, you know, go, go cut the hay in the field, quit complaining, you know, just go out and work. And that's where um, I think that's missing with a lot of people is they don't understand that behind every success is a lot of hard work. Yes. And Zig Ziglar specifically said that. So, so I'm an underdog that has been constantly trying to work hard to get up to that next level, to accomplish more, to be more, to help more.
0: Love it. So I didn't tell you while we were in the green room. Like If you see me looking down, I have a notebook. I take notes. So I don't want you to think I'm like scrolling Instagram while you're talking. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So this is my third my third notebook now. Like I said, this is your the 119th episode. I have two two other notebooks just full of notes that everyone everyone says. Because you know we're definitely here to educate the audience, but I learn a lot too from from each guest, and I want to believe that guests take away some things from from me as well. So everybody wins. You know, it's a win win. Mm-hmm. But one, one great thing that you said there is that you were an underdog. You guys had the, the smallest farm in the area. But you said the magic words that when I'm working with clients, I say all the time is, how can I do better? Like, that's what's missing. People always want to point the finger and say, it's this it's this reason, it's that reason, it's this reason. It's like, like, what can I do to do better? And it's great that your father instilled that work ethic in you because mine did As well as um, I did almost an entire entire show about him, because he was always there's always a way like any roadblock he ever hit. There was always a way. And his instilling that into us and also having a chip on my shoulder from being the youngest and trying to forge my own path. But that's that's where Shut Up and Grind was really born. Cause I'm just growing up watching him. Whatever he wanted to accomplish, no matter what got in the way, he fought through it and he accomplished it. You know, so now I get to pay it back through this, through through my my fitness and through my coaching program. So it's awesome that you took what was instilled in you and you expand upon it. So now, what? Uh, where were you born and raised? I know you said was, it already. Wisconsin, I'm right?
1: Of all places, Pittsville, Wisconsin. It's the exact Pitsville. center of the state of Wisconsin. That's the okay. only claim to fame. Uh, <clears throat> one main street, about three blocks long, no stoplights. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it's just a little farm town. It's never grown. Um, and it, it's just, uh, it, it's where there's a lot of cranberry growers there. And so there's some unique things about it. But it, it's just a typical little small town in Wisconsin, a farm town. Okay. And the interesting thing is, is that uh, despite the fact that I don't live there anymore and wouldn't want to live there because of the lack of opportunity, yes, I never would be what I am today, and I wouldn't be able to speak on stages in Dallas and uh, today in Napa and uh, you know in uh, around the country if I didn't have that humble beginning. In fact, the company that I'm with now, we always talk about the best person to hire is somebody that's humble, hungry, and smart. And we yes. look for those three things every time we hire somebody. If they've only got two, we don't hire them. Yeah. And so uh, that, that humility that I learned from being a, you know a, a, just a kid on a dairy farm cleaning the manure uh, and taking the manure out on the field, uh, that, that sticks with you. And yes. that, that uh, is something that even though I'm 61 years old and I haven't farmed since I was 18 – Boy, do I remember, you know, every once in a while I'll mention to my kids, yeah, this time of the year in July, I was bailing hay and I was working from five in the morning until 11 at night. Oh, you never did that, Dad. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> and So, uh, well, we don't want to work that hard. I know you don't. I'm just telling you where, where my beginning was.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> see, and and that's that's the power in, in the story. Like, like it says up above us, you know, your true power lies in your story because, That's why I started doing the the show this way. Like I started telling you backstage like I would go through an entire hour and yeah, we would talk about their business and the books that they wrote and everything, but we didn't know the person. You know, it's like, I want to get to know who I just spent an hour with. So Mm -hmm. instead of just doing a 30 minute show, I said, you know what, let's just make it an hour. Uh, You know, there are people who who drive, people who go for runs or bike rides or whatever. And then that's where longer shows like this are, they, they're beneficial because like people I follow that have longer shows, that's when that's when I do it. I go on a bike ride, I put on the headphones and I'll plop on an hour long video and, and I ride until the video's done, <laughs> you know? But, but that's the thing is that it just allows for a deeper connection because then outside of this, like once this hour is over, I'm pretty sure in my ro- Rolodex of connections, I'm going to have people that you would be a great fit for. Mm-hmm. You know, so like if we just solely focus on, just business, then it's like we're gonna miss that personal connection piece, you know? So cause as you're talking, I'm resonating with the things that you're saying. And I'm sure that the people listening to this will as well. You know, so like that's that's the power in doing it this way. All right. So what was what 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 was your original like childhood dream? Like what did you envision yourself doing for a career?
1: well i was into photography i was going to go to college to be a photojournalist i love photography from the time i was young my mom kind of got me started in photography and so i started being a wedding photographer at 17 and shooting senior pictures and stuff like that so i wanted to be a top photographer which is a long ways away from the mortgage business but um i I, and i loved flying and i loved airplanes i got my pilot's license when i was 18. Mm -hmm. And so, well, how do you pay for getting a pilot's license? Well, you go take pictures. So I took aerial photographs, Mm -hmm. which you won't work anymore because there's drones all over the place. But uh, for 17 years, I ran an aerial photography company. We incorporated it with my boss at the first place that I worked, a a farm newspaper. Um, And I started that business in uh, right before about 1979, right before I turned uh, uh, 20. And uh, it just started growing and doing fantastically well. Um, and I loved to, to take pictures. I love to uh, fly. And so I was kind of living the dream. And then yeah. it kept getting bigger and bigger and 100 employees and 200 employees and 5 million in revenues. And pretty soon I wasn't shooting pictures anymore and I wasn't flying. I was mm-hmm. doing business stuff and having meetings with bankers. And not only was I not enjoying it, Robert – I wasn't good at, and I didn't know what I was not good at, and you get yeah. kind of cocky when you have that kind of success from the time you're 19 until you get into your 30s and 17 years, you get real cocky and you lose your humility, and I did, and yes. uh, pride goes pride goes before a fall. I firmly believe that, and that has to be something we guard against. 1995, we get written up in Ink Magazine, big article, and I'm in the front, you know, page in Ink Magazine. And it's like, wow, this is cool. Then we got some interest from, from venture capitalists. And we went, uh, the venture capitalists were crooked, ended up ripping us off. That would be another hour mm. show just on that. But oh, yeah. the mine is, is I went from being on top of the world in 1995 to being fired from my own company and broke in 1996. Wow. Uh, just a huge fall, failure. I, I even... <laughs> I don't even like to say this, but I should because it's going to help maybe some other people. I have four little kids at home under the age of 12. My wife didn't work outside the house. She's busy with the kids, even though she was trained in the medical area and could be a, a medical assistant. And and she couldn't because we were raising four kids. Yeah. And all of a sudden we were broke and no money was coming in. I lost everything in the business. We lost all our airplanes. We lost our building, everything. And all of a sudden at 30, four years old, uh, I'm sorry, 37 years old and broke, I have nothing. And I, I often thought if I would just turn my car a little bit and run into a semi, at least my wife would get the life insurance and I could provide mm. for my family that way. How screwed up when I wow. went through all the, Zig, all the Zig Ziglar stuff, all the positive mental attitude, Norman Vincent Peale. I, I taught that stuff to our salespeople at the company. I mean, I was just a dynamo in in speaking and presenting and motivating the salespeople. And all of a sudden, I wasn't applying it to my own life. I was down. And my wife had to try to get me out of bed in the morning and, and, and do something different. And, and, hey, you can do it, Harlan. And I, I could have lost my marriage, but she had confidence in me and encouraged me. And that's why I'm here today. And a lot of people look at me and say, wow, can't believe the house you live in. You drive a BMW. Uh, you make all this money. Yeah, you don't know what it was like back in
0: nineteen ninety six. And see, see, let let me let me just jump in here because you unpacked a lot right there. And and this is why I like this format because what you just shared is nowhere in your talking points. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere in there, and that right there is what <laughs> the majority of my audience either has gone through or is currently going through. Because people think that, you know, having a business that's generating millions of dollars and you got 100 plus employees that you must be living a life, living the dream. Like you made it small town in Wisconsin to a million dollar business. But the key words were you weren't happy. And for the people listening, how many of you out there are going through that or have gone through that? Because you guys know I tell my story over and over. I'm not going to get into it fully. But remember, I was in that. I was in corporate America twenty years, in charge of my own schedule. You know, pay, decent pay, benefits, all that other stuff. But I still had to ask. I had to ask to take vacation. I had to ask to take days off. I had to get. I get pulled in on my days off. I was missing things with the children. You know, missing the first steps, missing the, the first tooth breaking through. You know, having to miss the first the first recital because I got pulled pulled back into uh, the restaurant. And it's like, yeah, so on the surface, everything looked great. But inside, I was slowly dying, you know, and I feel like that's where you were at that point. So before we move on to what you're doing now, take me through that moment that you just shared, where if I just turn the car slightly and hit that semi, she'll get the money and she and the kids will be okay. It's like, take me through that.
1: Well, it was, uh, my self-worth was wrapped up in my business. It wasn't wrapped up in who I was. It was wrapped up in American Images. American Images was on my shirts and on my jackets and uh, on my business card. And that logo with the eagle, that's who I was, was American Images. And we weren't the largest company, but we're the second largest aerial photography company. We wanted to be the largest company in the aerial photography business. There's one uh, out of Toledo, Ohio that ended up being bigger. And so that was my identity. And when it crashed, it was embarrassing. It was um, I, I lost who I was, forgetting that it doesn't make any difference uh, in that situation of what happened to the business. It matters who you are. And so I really had I started reading Ogmandino's uh, book, The Greatest Salesman in the World and A Better Way to Live, um, and, and reciting those things over and over, just like I told my people. It took a year to get out of my depression, anxiety. I never went to a psychologist or anything, but I was down. I was, you know, playing handball with the curb. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was as low as you could go because all of a sudden to everybody else, I looked like a loser. All of the people that I kind of bragged to and thought I was kind of special as a young entrepreneur, Inc. Magazine, you know, up on the wall in the plaques, all of a sudden I was nothing. And I couldn't even pay my bills in the and I'm getting calls regularly from the credit card companies. And I come this close to losing my house. Um, And so everything was going down. And so I knew that um, that I had uh, I I remember W. Clement Stone in every adversity. There's a seed of an equal or greater benefit. I had told many people that. But all of a sudden I had to do. I believe that this is a horrible adversity. Is there a seed of a greater benefit in this? I don't think there is. I can't find it. I mean, this is terrible. I can't provide for my kids. The lowest point in my life was when my 12-year-old and 8-year-old came down from upstairs because they heard Brenda and I talking about how rough our financial situation is. And they brought their piggy banks down and said, Dad, will this help? That was a horrible feeling. My Mm -hmm. kids trying to help with a piggy bank when I was supposed to be the one providing and giving them security. Um, uh, they still remember that today, even though they were 12 and eight and, and they appreciate where I'm at. The two younger ones just saw the more of the success, but I started applying that every day, reading that over and over and over, uh, about, Hey, no, this is, this is different. I even started talking to the kids about it, even having them memorize some of those things. I'm alive, I'm awake and I feel great. I feel good. I feel fine. I feel this way all the time. Um, they, they actually recited some of that stuff to their girlfriends uh, when I was talking to them a few weeks ago. It was like, wow, you guys still remember that. So <laughs> it was constantly believing that, no, there's something in here that's better. Something is going to be able. And, and at first it was anger and rage at the venture capitalists who ripped us off, who took advantage of my brother and I and and, and, and wrecked our lives. Uh, so it, the, the anger came first, then depression. Um, and then despair. and then in the despair, that's where I started looking for the seed of working where, where can it be better? And it's not that all of a sudden everything changed around. In fact, I nobody wanted to hire me. I had been an entrepreneur my whole life. Nobody wanted to hire somebody that's an entrepreneur that had never worked for somebody. I, I was I was unemployable. So what I did is I, I finally got a job commission only selling mortgages. And uh, of course, being an entrepreneur, after about three, four months, I started telling the owners that they were screwing it up and they should do it differently. Mm. They fired me that day in the conference room in Minneapolis. Oh, was, wow. So not only did I have a job, now I go home and tell my wife, guess what? I don't have a job anymore. So the only thing I can right, do.
0: Let's, let's pause right there. Let's pause right there. So told the wife you didn't have a job. I'm going to write that down so you can pick right back up where you left off. All right. So I just want, want to tie in just some of, again, of what you just shared. So when you were talking about your kids and the piggy bags, like that actually like made me well up just a little bit, a little bit. Like I I sh- um, shielded it well, because I remember when I was starting my fitness business, same thing. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I was really good at making people feel good about themselves. Like that was all I re- really knew. I have no college ed- education. I mean, I went a semester and a half and th- then I dropped out. So, like, I don't have a business background. I don't have an accounting background, any of that stuff. So I just knew I was really good at making people um, improve their confidence and helping them get results. So I stepped into that. But there were times when, you know, the lights got turned off. My car got, re- got repossessed. Same thing. I'm downstairs, you know, counting counting pennies and putting pennies in, in, in the roll so I can go and get food. Like, things got really, really low. And so when we opened up our – our yeah. gym, you know, we opened up a 5,000 square foot facility. I remember I went in one morning and my daughter had left a post-it note on the computer screen that says, I'm so proud of you for not giving up on your dream. And wow. I just started bawling at five yeah. o'clock in the morning. I was just bawling, you know, because that's the thing is that the kids see the grind. You know, they, they see us at our low and being men. It's like people don't understand, like, yeah, we are wired to want to provide. That's just how we're wired. And then when we feel like we can't provide, it's devastating to us. So I, I felt exactly what, what you felt in that moment. But, you know, mine with my daughter, it was obviously it was after we had success. Like yours was kind of after a fall. But that feeling, it, it, it's still there, even though mine was of joy and yours kind of hurt you. But it still moves you into further action. You know, so that's absolutely amazing. All right. So, oh, actually, and one other thing, because this is for the people listening. So all those things that just happened to you and you said you questioned your self-worth and then everything that transpired with with the venture capitalists led to anger, depression, and despair. And I feel like a lot of people struggle when it gets to that point. And now I'm not saying you. I'm saying, but most people, this is where so again, those of you who watch the show on the regular, you know that I use the word selfish a lot. You know, because when people let anger, depression, and things like despair get to you, you're looking at it from the selfish standpoint, like this happened to me. But if we go back to what you said in the beginning about how can I do better? You know, it's like all of this happened, what am I gonna do now? You know, and so, again, like that's the premise of this show is to get people through the what can I do now? So tell me how you pulled yourself out. So you got the job. You told your wife that you, did, that, uh, you didn't have your job. Take it from there.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's a trite saying, but it's so true. You can either choose and, and, and it is a choice. People, you know, it's like getting married. Uh, you know, you, people say you fall into love and then you can fall out of love. No, it's a choice. You make a decision that you're going to love that person, even when it's hard to you make a decision of what your mental state is. It's not something that, well, because they did this to me, I have a right to be sad and depressed and angry. Um, And so uh, I, I had heard this, but this is definitely something that I repeated a lot. You can either let your adversities make you better or make you bitter. Well, I was bitter most of the first year. I was really bitter. I was ticked at how how they did things and how they took advantage of me. And we tried to fight them in court and they had more attorneys and more money than we did. And I I was just angry and, and I felt that I was a victim. Mm -hmm. That I think is the biggest thing that will screw anybody's life up. That'll screw up a country when people think they're a victim and they are not in control. I was in control. And even then, after I lost my job, and I came home, I said, Brenda, it's good that I did because this company is not going to go anywhere. They're probably going to crash and burn. And I've really got to start my own company because I know enough about this that I can kind of get it started and I can do it right here rather in in a little town of Marshfield, Wisconsin, 20,000 population, uh, not far from where I grew up because there's no competition here like there is in Minneapolis and Milwaukee and Madison. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And Except this time I started with humility and it was a whole different philosophy. And that's when I started building that. And of course, uh, after um, uh, roughly uh, you know uh, 18 years, we, got, we merged with a much larger company, multi-billion dollar company, and we're now a division of that company. And I could not be more happy and thrilled of what's there. But um, it took sitting in the back of this hearing aid store, running a mortgage broker shop, thinking that I could um, turn this into something better. And eventually we bought the building and after the um, the hearing aid guy uh, uh, retired, and we still have it. And we still are running our business out of there uh, since 1996. So it's, but I had to make the decision. I'm going to be better. I'm not going to turn this into a victim thing. Uh, I brought this on myself. I was not humble enough. I have the opportunity to decide every single morning what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to have because I had read the Zig Ziglar stuff. I'd read Norman Vincent Peale. I'd read W. Clement Stone. I knew what those principles were. And it was easy to tell other people about them. But now I had to apply them to my own self. And pulling out of that was um, without question way more difficult than shoveling a bunch of manure or bailing uh, 500 bales of hay. Uh, It was tough. And I was wore out. At some of the ends of the day, just mentally, physically, just I can't go any further. I don't know enough about this. I need to learn more, and it was incredibly difficult, but incredibly rewarding as we saw that gradually inch up. Um, yes. And that was that was something that um, uh, that I would anybody. The quicker I, I didn't get out of it quick enough, Robert. So if I can give advice to your audience, make that decision a lot quicker. You know, quit trying to think victim thoughts at all. Get out of that right now and change your mind because you can change your mind. You're not going to change your circumstances immediately, but you can change your mind instantly. Yeah. You don't have to take three weeks to change your mind. It might take three weeks to see the results of changing your mind, but you can change your mind right now. And I didn't do it soon enough that that was a mistake. I always tell people you can learn the most from me from learning from my mistakes. So you don't have to make them. Yes. Don't Don't be proud. Uh, don't be victim thinker. Uh, don't think you know more. I started hiring people that were smarter than myself, which was reasonably easy to do. Uh, <laughs> those those were the things that I tried to do it all. thought I was the smartest guy in the room and I, it wasn't even close to that. And, um, and now I have a team of people that are, uh, have helped me grow that are way smarter than me and love working together because I give them a lot of autonomy. And I've got some people that have worked with me for over 20 years. Um, so, Uh, you know, it's also the team. It's not, if you think I'm going to handle all this, no, it's your family, it's your coworkers, it's your team, it's your employees. Um, don't, don't think that you're, you know, the, the, uh, the man with the overnight success, uh, people that are really successful have a whole bunch of people that came along for the party or helped you get there.
0: Yes. Yeah. One of the most powerful things you said in all of that was you can kind of get it started. There's one thing that holds people back is they think everything has to be perfect. They got to have all the bells and whistles in the beginning and you really don't. You just got to have some type of problem that's out there that you have a solution for and just get it started. Because you can always expand. You know, like I see these these gyms, you know, people, like these smaller private gyms, not like the big chain gyms that have, you know, millions of dollars to, to back them. But these people, they put so much time and effort into building the gym and getting the latest equipment and the best this and the best that. But you don't have any clients yet. you know. So I started mine in the spare bedroom of my home. Now, group oh, fitness great. is mostly females. So I had women answering Craigslist ads and coming to my home to train in my spare bedroom. But wow. why? Because I was solving a problem. You know, I was solving a problem. So they they had an, a, a need. I displayed my expertise and my ads. And that was enough to help them overlook that I'm going to a stranger's house. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the power of marketing and branding. So and then, as I said earlier, that we ended up opening up a 5,000 square foot facility. But I got started just from simply solving a problem. You know, so out of everything that, that you said, that's what stood out to me. Is that you didn't have it all together, but you went forward anyway, you know? So yeah,
1: I was competing. I was competing against banks, and I remember one guy said, "I we were the first mortgage broker in the city." And uh, one of these guys said, "You know, this is really cool, and you know, I got a better deal, and you helped me more than the bank." But is it legal for you to do this? I mean, you just got this little office in the back of a hearing aid company. Uh, is this <laughs> legal? Can you really give me money? <laughs> And, you know, you're right. You don't have to have the marble columns and uh, the 5,000 square foot gym to be able to help people.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's get into the reverse mortgages because I want to make sure you have plenty of time to to discuss how it works, what, what it is, like how you stumbled upon that as your niche. So go ahead. Take me through it.
1: Yeah. So I started out uh, doing uh, first time uh troubled credit because doing things that the banks could not do or would not do, taking care of kind of the disadvantaged uh, along the way. And then uh, and that went great until about uh, 2004, uh, 2003, somewhere in there. And then I heard, I was always looking for a niche thing, something that not everybody did that made me stand out, made our company stand out over the other people, which you always look for things like that in, in any business, in any area. Yeah. And so I heard about reverse mortgages and I had always told people, well, don't get involved with those. Those are a ripoff. They, they screw yeah. the old people and rip off the kids and, and just stay away from those. Because I had read the Dave Ramsey books and saw his financial peace class and I just thought that's the way it was. Yeah. And then I was invited to a class in, in 2003 in Miami in January. Now, if you live in Wisconsin, you go to any class in Miami in January because it's 25 below zero. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I, I did not want to go to that class, but I thought, hey, this is a chance to get in the beach and thaw out a little bit. It took my son down there. Uh, Brenda stayed back with the other kids. They were going to school. And <laughs> in three days, my mind completely flipped. And I realized, now, just a minute. We spend our whole working career putting money into a house. We put money into a 401k. We put money into an IRA our savings account, whatever. And when we get to be retirement, we pull it back out. But when, with the house, nobody pulls it back out. They put it in the house and they leave it there until they die and give it to their kids. And their kids immediately sell it because they don't want to live in the house. When you're 90 and the kids are 60, they've got their own houses. And so when you die, the kids are not waiting to move in. And if you've got four kids which kid's going to move in. So I realized that, whoa, I've had it wrong all these years that you should not put a reverse mortgage on and pull the money back out when you get to be older. And so I started talking to financial advisors, and this is where I really aspired. I want to understand this because the big radio talk show host, um, uh, Dave Ramsey is blasting out uh, what I believe is incorrect stuff. Am I really right on this? So my humility came back into play and I started talking to financial advisors and bringing up this point to them all over the country. And people that were MBAs and PhDs, I, I, like you, I never went to college. I, I, I didn't even drop out. I never got there. And so I wasn't anything special from an educational standpoint. And here I was dealing with CFAs and MBAs and PhDs and attorneys and everything else. And that's when I discovered, no, this makes sense. If you do a reverse mortgage and you pull money out of your house... You will have less equity in your home when you die, but you'll have more cash and you'll have more life insurance and you'll have more fun while you're alive because you'll be able to spend that money. And a financial planner said, Harlan, do you want to give your money away with a warm hand or a cold hand? Mm -hmm. And I said, I guess a warm hand. And he said, well, then you don't leave it sit there until you die. You do something now. And so, excuse me, when I understood that whole thought process. That just a minute, a house is an investment. We wouldn't buy a house if they didn't go up in value. Otherwise, we just run a circle. I mean, if you got to pay out $2,000 a month, pay it out for an apartment, and then you don't have the hassles of fixing the roof. And so the only reason we buy it is because it's a good investment. Well, if it's a good investment, why can't we get the money out when we get older? So I'm 61. Next year, I'll be 62. I'm going to start taking money out of my house because I put hundreds of thousands of dollars into it over the years. Why can't I take it out? And I will... And I will stop making payments. But that is a very foreign idea, a very foreign idea, because conventional wisdom says pay off your house because all of us baby boomers were raised by depression era parents who told us to pay off our house and never get a mortgage. And
0: so so explain how
1: sorry. So explain how it how it works. So let's say that I've got a four hundred thousand dollar house. And I've paid it off over the years. There's two types of people that we work with. One that's still making a payment. 44% of people are still making a payment the day they turn 62. Okay. Uh, the other uh, roughly 56% uh, have no mortgage at all. They've got their house paid off. Okay. So let's talk about the, the bigger group that have their house paid off. So now I've got a $400,000 house and it's nice and I can talk about it and I can brag about my house being paid off but it does me no good. I still have to do repairs. I still got to pay taxes. I I still got to make sure that I'm um, uh, uh, doing the upkeep and so on. So with a reverse mortgage as a bank backed by the federal housing administration, we come in and say, we'll give you half the value of your house in cash at 62 years old. So we'll give you $200,000. Now you don't have to take all that out today, but Uh, We'll give you a line of credit or we'll give you a check for two thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life. Or we'll give you a big check to buy a motorhome because you want to go traveling now or whatever. But we will create liquidity for half the value of the house. You never have to make a payment. It's optional for the rest of your life. And so the balance is going to go up if you don't make a payment. You can make a payment, but you don't have to. Most people don't. And so at at three percent interest, roughly, it continues to go up. So if you live to be 90, you might owe 400000 or 500000 if you live to be 100. And you never have to make a payment for the rest of your life unless you want to. So you get to use that money, but yet Federal Housing Administration guarantees that you can stay in that house no matter what happens. If the value of the house goes down. If the market crashes, if uh, you get sick, uh, no matter what happens, you are never required to make a payment. You just have to pay the taxes and the insurance, which you would have to if your house is paid off. So that's the first group is we enhance the retirement because they have money in their house that they're not using. Now, the second group of people are the ones that we actually work with more often, and that's the people that are still making a mortgage payment. Just talked to a lady last week, $1.3 million home in California. She still owes $300,000. She's making a payment of $1,500 a month. She has nothing in her investments except $10,000, $20,000. And uh, her and her husband are in their 70s, early 70s. And I said, can I ask you, what's the best investment you ever made? And she said, well, our house, because we bought it for 300000 and now it's worth 1. $1.3, 1. $1.4, maybe it'd be worth $1.5 by the end of the year. It's crazy how everything's going up around here. Mm. So I said, so you're millionaires. And she said, we sure don't feel like millionaires because we're still paying $1,500 a month and we're still paying our taxes and we got a $20,000 roof to do. I said, so really your house has been a horrible investment. Is that correct? <laughs> and she said, I never thought about it that way, but Yeah. It kind of is. I said, we can pay off your $300,000 mortgage, refinance it into a reverse, give you another $200,000 that you can use for whatever you want, uh, whether you want to use it for more travel, helping your two girls, whatever you want to do, and you never have to pay it back for the rest of your life. In fact, you can use the money to pay your taxes and fix the roof if you want, and now you can enjoy all of the $5,000 a month that you're bringing in on pensions and Social Security. So... She said, well, wait, just a minute, though. The kids are going to get less. And I said, well, sure they will, because you're going to be using up some money. The only way that you can give your kids the maximum amount of money if you die this year. The quicker you die, the more money you can give to your kids. Is that what they want? Do your kids <laughs> want you to die early so they get a bigger inheritance? If they do, you should disinherit them. So <laughs> it, it's weird that we think, well, wait, just a minute, then we shorted our kids. No, you can actually have fun with your kids and your grandkids and do things for them now because you're not putting $1,500 a month, $18,000 a year into an illiquid asset that you cannot access. So those are the two different types of scenarios, either eliminate the payment that they're making or give them a monthly check uh, or a line of credit or a combination of the two. If they got it paid down to like this lady, you got it paid down to $300,000 on a $1.3 million home. So that's really how it works. Now at the end, Then the the loan is due. This is still a loan. It's not a grant. It's not free money. So at the end, let's say she took out 300, 400,000 and interest accrued to 600,000 and they die 20 years down the road. Well, the house is probably worth now 2 million, 3 million, who knows with inflation, but let's say Mm -hmm. it never goes up from 1.3 million. It never increases. Well, when they pass away, then we come and give them a year to decide what to do. And we talk to the kids and say, Hey, mom and dad took out the reverse mortgage. And of course you knew about it and now they owe $600,000. Do you want to sell the house or do you want to refinance it and turn it into a rental or what do you want to do? Because most of the time, 99% of the time the kids say no, sell it. So they sell it, they give us our $600,000. The other $700,000 goes to the kids and they're fine. But what happens okay. if you sell it in a year like 2009 and the value of the house went down? And let's say the house is highly unlikely but let's say the house is only worth 500,000 and you owe 600 if it's upside down, FHA will pay the difference. You are guaranteed not to lose. You're not guaranteed to win because we don't know the value of the house next year, say nothing about 10, 20 years into the future. But the fact is, is that you're guaranteed not to lose and your kids are guaranteed not to lose because we're taking the house as collateral and not, we don't own the house. We don't take the house away. Everybody thinks that we take the house. The bank takes the house. No, it's a mortgage like any other mortgage. It's just that it's a negative amortizing mortgage that has optional payments. You can make a payment if you want. And if you don't want to make a payment, you don't have to, because you've got better things to do with the kids and the grandkids and taking a Viking River cruise instead. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's really uh, very simply the way that it works is we do nothing more than wave a magic wand and turn the payments into optional payments and create liquidity. So that they can use the money that's sitting right under their nose in their house. Otherwise, it's off limits.
0: I'm I'm hooking you up with my mom because I don't think she she knows about any of this. Because <laughs> once once my once my dad passed, I think I think my dad did all of that stuff with with, with the mortgage and all that stuff. So I really don't think she knows about it. And so um, most people don't.
1: And if they do hear about it on a TV commercial or something, Robert, they just say, no, that's where the bank takes the house. And I want to make sure that Robert gets something uh, or you know, the seven kids. And and they're thinking, well, just a minute. If we got seven kids, uh, that's only thirty thousand dollars a kid, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. the, the difference is. Um, why don't I just make sure my kids would probably rather have me have a good life? And so just like you have money in your savings account, you have money in your house savings account, but people don't look at it that way because it's untouchable. We call it the sacred cow of home equity. No, we're not mm. gonna touch that. That's for the kids. Why is it for the kids? Why are you Why are you saving that for the kids when you could enjoy life with the kids now and have more? So the vast majority of people have a negative view, 90% plus have a negative view about reverse mortgages and we have to spend a lot of time educating and say, no, that's not true. That's not the way it works. And no, this is actually to your benefit and your kids' benefit. Um, and it is weird the way that all you got to do is mention the name, reverse mortgages, and a lot of people just kind of turn up their nose or frown or whatever because they don't understand that. No, we're not. The bank is not taking the house. We're helping you have a better life. And one of the things that gets me up in the morning every single day is one out of five widows in this country, Robert, are in poverty. In the richest wow. country in the world, one out of five widows in poverty, and most of them have never been there before. I've sat at the kitchen table with some of these 80-year-old widows, and their kids don't even know that they don't have enough money to go out to lunch with their girlfriends at Panera Bread. Wow. Uh, it, it's shocking. And, and and the kids don't realize how uh, – I sat with a lady in Scottsdale. They were millionaires 20 years ago when they moved to Scottsdale. Her husband died, burned up a bunch of money with the um, uh, uh, health problems. Here she is, and she's sitting there with nothing, and she's selling her furniture so she can pay her taxes because she doesn't want to move out of her house. And she likes the neighborhood, and she's always lived there. And uh, but she literally has no money to go out to the girls' call and want to go out to lunch. She just tell, makes up an excuse. Uh, why would in one of the richest countries in the world, we could give her a check for $3,000 a month. For the rest of her life we changed her life and she doesn't have to worry about paying the taxes or anything because that's coming out of those funds um -hmm. but it's just weird that people and her husband when he died said whatever you do don't ever put a mortgage on the house or you might lose it see i've
0: i've heard those those negative stereotypes about reverse mortgages which is why when i came across you i was like ooh, you know i want to i want to bring it on someone who knows about that stuff because i don't I you know most people you're hearing information from people who aren't experts in the field. That's just how it is like I hear things about health and fitness all the time that are just not true. <laughs> you know so yeah but my, my, my question to you is, is this something that the banks want people to know because like why isn't it articulated the way you just
1: did it? Well, because what happened is is Wells Fargo before the crash were the biggest producers of reverse mortgages. And they got hit with a lawsuit because uh, there were four widows uh, who were underage. And back in the old days, you could take your younger wife off from title. So these four husbands took their young wives off from titles. And when they died, the reverse mortgage came due because their wives didn't own the house. They should have never done that. That was stupid of the husbands to do that. And they were warned about it in all of the documents, but they did it anyway. And so when they died... Their wives got kicked out of the house. That was horrible press. It was on ABC News with, you know, it it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It was horrible press. Just Google widows and reverse mortgages and you'll see all these stories. Well, Wells Fargo got sued and they were dragged through the court systems and they won. But in the court of public opinion, they lost. So they shut down the program and and then Bank of America followed and no large banks do it today because they're afraid of the reputation risk. Uh, fairway, uh, we do 87 billion a year and we have 600 offices and we started this six years ago when we merged with uh, fairway, because we believed that we could do it right. We believed we could educate people. And after six years, knock on wood, we have no lawsuits, no issues, and we've helped thousands of people. So if it's done right, and of course, at that time, Wells Fargo was doing some other things wrong too. And so there's a lot of issues with what was going on with Wells Fargo, um, but the bottom line is is that they uh tainted the image of reverse mortgages because of those lawsuits. And so the industry should have done a better job of PR, uh but it's a small industry and there was never enough money put forward on TV and ARP picked it up. ARP is the ones that uh, did the lawsuit against uh, Wells Fargo and they're, they they got public opinion across the board. So yeah. that was really the problem, but it's kind of like Remember, uh, well, you were, obviously neither you nor I were around. But when uh, cars originally came out, there's some municipalities that outlawed horseless carriages because they were dangerous, mm-hmm. and you could get you could get killed in an accident. Which of course you still can, but that doesn't mean yeah. they outlaw cars. When electricity <laughs> first came out, there's a lot of municipalities that outlawed electricity because it might burn the houses down. Well, in my book, I wrote a, a specific chapter on drug, sex, and reverse mortgages, and uh, reverse mortgages can be good or they can be bad drugs can be good or they can be bad of course sex can be good or evil so mm-hmm. the issue is is that if it's used correctly and your mom is properly educated along with your six siblings it's a wonderful tool but if we just go in and tell your mom hey take some money out and go down to the gambling casino and have a lot of fun uh that mm-hmm. would be a horrible thing and it would be taking yeah. advantage of your mom so That's really the issue is the education needs to get out there. And that's what our motto at Fairway is that we want to change the way retirement is done in this country. There's $9 trillion sitting in seniors' houses. It's the the largest asset class in the history of the world, of any country. And so something must be done for the baby boomers to have a better retirement because they don't have enough money. And when my dad retired, he was in 1981, he was getting 15% interest on his CDs. Now it's 0.4%. So uh, this is not your father's retirement this is not your grandfather's retirement I tell all the people my age you got to look at things differently and do things differently because we're not in 1981 anymore um so so really that's what we try to do to dispel the 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 all of the stories that are out there the incorrect information and show people how to properly use it I mean look at Bernie Madoff just because he was that people don't stop investing just because he ripped a bunch of people off with his Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's always bad things that happen. Uh, If there's a bad podcast, we don't expect all podcasts to go off the air. I mean, it's just (laughs) so, uh, so that's really uh, what, and and the cool thing is, is I've never been more successful from a financial standpoint at 61 years old, but that's not even important. Um, I I read the go giver book uh, a few years ago. And the more people you help, the more money you make. It's it's really that simple. And so go help some more people. Whenever anybody comes to me and complains and says, ah, you know, I'm kind of short this month. I say, well, go help some people. And you'll, you'll increase your income. Um, So uh, I've never felt more fulfilled knowing that we can not only help people one at a time, but we can literally change the way this country does retirement. And that's really what our goal is. And when I think back of those um, uh, those years when I was broke back in 1996, uh, I I now have a beautiful home about a mile away from that office building where I was fired in Minneapolis. (laughs) And every time I drive by that, I get humble again and say, yeah. Stay helpful because you know where you came from. You were just a farm kid from central Wisconsin. Don't start thinking you're too special and make sure that you just keep helping people.
0: You know, in, in reality, you should drive by every day and say thank you. <laughs> Seriously, and say, and say thank you, because <laughs> had they not fired you, how much longer would you have held on to that? You know yes. and and in doing what you're doing now this, this this is why I like starting with the backstory because once we get to the end it all ties together that you knew you wanted you wanted to work with people like you wanted to help people and just like at first when you wanted to be a photographer and then you were a pilot so you combined the two <laughs> you know it's like you you took your skills and you and you combined them so it's like you took everything that you went through and put it into what you're doing now which is helping people, you know, because seniors are struggling. So my mom's going to be 70 in October and she's driving a taxi <laughs> right right now, you know, to make to make ends meet. And you said 9 trillion dollars is sitting sitting around in pe- people's homes and because of what happened decades ago, people are are afraid to do it or, or they think it's too too risky, but like I said, the way you just laid it out, it it makes total sense you know, so I mean, I'll definitely do what I can to help promote you in your business. But for right now, you can promote it yourself. So how can people get in touch with you? Like, what's your onboarding process?
1: Yeah, so uh, the best thing is, and, and uh, by the way, anybody that is listening on the podcast, we have 600 offices all over the country. So it doesn't matter where it's at. And we give away free books. I, I wrote a book, but I'm not interested in selling books. I'm interested in helping people with mortgages. So we give away free books. And if somebody simply emails me at Harlan A, H A R L A N A, at fairwaymc.com, um, or a Fairway MC for Mortgage Corporation. Um, then I will make sure that I not only pair them up with somebody that is a professional in their area uh, or talk to them myself, um, but Fairway has 600 offices all over the country. And then we'll make sure that they get a copy of the book. Uh, an understanding of what would happen for their parents or for themselves personally. uh, And also what they should do to plan for this. I started planning for a reverse mortgage the day I uh, turned and went in my thirties. When I went down to Miami, Uh, you, you look at things differently because I knew that in 2022 I was going to do my reverse mortgage. So I have more money in my investments because I didn't try to pay off my house on purpose. So um, we help people in their thirties and forties and help their parents and then, of course, help people from there. So, uh, yes, just just email me and I'd be thrilled to visit with you. And um, we're, we're into changing lives. And I've done over a thousand of these personally. Of course, Fairway has done thousands more, but not one person has ever come back to me and said, I wish I wouldn't have done this. How come you wrote me into this? Not one. I mean, that's a great feeling. I see them and, and they, they send me emails and say, I, you know, you changed my life. Um, You took care of my parents, they had a great last 10 years of their life because of you, they took vacations that they never would have taken, they went to Europe, they never would have done that. Um, And so it's a wonderful feeling uh, to change people's lives. And I would just encourage uh, everyone to be aware that that fourth quarter of people's lives is a completely different quarter than all the principles that you learn in the first three quarters. Building wealth is very different in fact, one of the uh, financial advisors I work with said more people die on the way down Mount Everest than going up mm. Mount Everest. And you got to be careful uh, spending that money and how you spend that money because nobody wants to run out of money before they run out of life. That's, That's scary because <laughs> That's it true. takes away all of your independence. And yeah. uh, sometimes you can't work, you can't get a job. You you know, there's a lot of people that lost their jobs in COVID. Um, yes. And we're there to help them make a difference in their life and make uh, make it easier and more fun and take some of the anxiety out of the fourth quarter of their lives.
0: I love it. So if someone's on the fence, even though even though you kind of just did it, but we'll s- let you go a level deeper. So like if someone's on on the fence or they were fed mis- misinformation, what would you say to them to get them to at least email you and have a conversation?
1: Well, what I always tell people is the larger the financial decision, the more likely it is psychologically that people make that decision with emotion. I mean, mm. think about it. People will go buy a $300 lawnmower and they'll research it out and go on consumer's reports and spend hours. My son spends hours figuring out which lawnmower or which vacuum cleaner to buy, uh, and, and very methodical and what the rating is and what the cost per whatever is. But when it comes to a big thing, like a reverse mortgage or buying a house or some of those uh, buying a car, a lot of people will make quick decisions because they're very emotional about big decisions. Just set that aside for a minute and look at the facts. What would your life be like with or without a reverse mortgage? If you're very wealthy, you will pay less in income taxes if you do a reverse mortgage. If you're not so wealthy, your money will last longer if you do a reverse mortgage. If you have no money at all, there's some money in your house. So proved. I always tell people, can you prove to me that you would not be a candidate to have a better life with a reverse mortgage? I'm not saying you need one. I mean, after all, we don't need a lot of things. But yeah. if, uh, like I would say to your mom, let's just look at what your life is going to be like for the next 20 years. If you don't do a reverse mortgage, then let's take a look at what it will look like if you do one. And if you like the one option better, the facts, the real numbers, the real amortization schedule, then let's make your life better. And if I can't prove that your life is going to be better, I'll never bother you again. 95% of people have a better life because we touch them with a reverse mortgage. And so we just give them the option, but they have to take their emotions aside for a minute and say, uh, ah, just a minute here. How will this work? Yes. Great answer. Great answer.
0: And thanks again for taking the time to uh, to, to sh- share about this. I learned a whole lot right now. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you. And uh, I need to know a lot about fitness. I'm 61 and about 15 pounds overweight. So we're going to need to talk to you next time about what I got to do about that. So uh, that's Absolutely. that's a whole other scenario. But uh, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to tell people about this, because uh, every time we do this, we change a few lives. And, uh, I have them read my book. Uh, it's only 90 pages, large print, uh, uh, lots of stories and it's kind of fun to go through and then say, make your own decision after you go through that. And I'll make sure that we get a free copy of the book to whoever wants to email me and we'll get that out to you. Awesome. Love it.
0: So again, thanks. Thank you for, uh, for coming, educating us, you know, for getting deep with your backstory and all that. So you know, I'll definitely have, have you on again. I mean, right now I'm booking into January. So if you want to grab another another spot, you know, we'll we'll speak again in the beginning of the new year and uh you know see where you're see where you are in your business and stuff and see if we can help each other out again.
1: I will do that. Thank you so much for what you do and the shut up and grind, when I saw the title, I thought that's that's me, that's my dad. I, I can't <laughs> wait to talk about it more. Thanks for what you do. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Have a great day. You too. All right. So that was Harlan. And see now, as he was stating in in the show, I've heard people talk about the negative side of reverse mortgages, but the way he just laid it out, it it makes a lot of sense. So if you're just tuning in late, I'm going to go back about 15 minutes or so into the live stream and just hear the way he breaks down how it works and how it can help you especially if you're over age 62 because it makes total sense so that's all i have for you for today i'll be back on friday with episode 112 i lied i'm back tomorrow that's right i have a special thursday taping tomorrow and this guy is awesome so you're not gonna want to miss him and uh yeah 11 a.m have a great day